Hello, listener. I hope you are safe and well. Joining me today for Shutosho's latest free thought podcast is Mahi Akhtar, a feminist activist working with domestic violence issues pertaining to men's violence on women and intimate um, partner violence. She is a Swedish Bangladeshi who brings a unique perspective of racial issues and how they intersect with these repressive mechanisms in Sweden. Welcome, Mahi. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Ikti. It's really nice to be here. Um, I think, uh, to begin with, if you could give us an overall view of, of what your work entails. So, I'm, I'm a social worker and a therapist, and for, for a very long time I've been working against men's violence against women in different ways, uh, but right now I work within the social services, giving therapy to survivors, survivors of domestic violence, both women and men and non-binary people. So that's uh, that's what I do uh, right now. Therapy with with survivors of domestic violence. Would you say that in Sweden um, the focus is on the survivor, perhaps more than in other countries? I guess it's difficult for me to answer that questions because other countries could be it's so many um, so many countries. But lately, I think in general, uh, all, all over the world, the focus is on survivors. But in Sweden, the couple of lately, uh, the focus has shifted a bit to perpetrators, and also how you could work with perpetrators and uh, uh, how do you say, förebygga, prevent, how you can prevent violence and talk about. Uh, toxic masculinity uh, which I think is good because the solution is uh, for men to stop using violence That's that will be the long term solution so I think that's a good focus shifting uh, which means that the resources we have has to be doubled we can't take resources from the survivors to the perpetrators because then we are not giving people who need help, help. Uh, we need more resources done We'll, we'll come back to resources in a minute, but you've, you've <coughs> said something that I, I was going to ask, whether you thought this new approach was better. Um, could we perhaps go a little bit uh, deeper into this idea of toxic masculinity? Um, what what does it represent and how how does it relate to the work that you do? Uh. Toxic masculinity, it's when you live in a patriarchy, then we have the system of men having more power than women. And Sweden is a country who's, compared to other countries, is better in, in certain ways when it comes to equality. But I also think uh, other countries has a, a skewed pictures of equality in Sweden, thinking that we don't have... Uh, uh, men's violence against women or that equality looks in a way it doesn't in Sweden uh, because we have problems and we have quite, quite a big problems I think uh, the 
the 20 last years uh, in average 16 women has been killed every year uh, last year it was 21 women and just like for two months ago six women were murdered uh, within three weeks uh, by their partner or ex-partner so it, it's not that we don't have uh, gender in- equality in Sweden uh, and with that comes also because when when we talk about men's violence against women then we have to that it's it's the men that using the violence and we have the extreme form that women are actually getting killed and then we have uh, the other form that um, men treating women in uh, in a in a bad way but I guess also when we talk about toxic masculinity is is how it hurts women but also how it hurts men I don't think men benefits from it obviously they do in a structural way but I think in a individual way on an individual level and an emotional level I, I think toxic masculinity is hurting men uh, and I think both all of us would be freer if that didn't exist I don't know if that answered your question. Well, it has, it has answered a question and we have many more, so that's fine. And and if we carry on from what you've just said about um, toxic, toxic masculinity and the harm it does, not <coughs> just to the the survivors or the victims, but also to men in, in, in general, um, how does this new this, this shift to the perpetrator uh, from from a focus on the survivor, how how does this help with um, uh, perhaps um, diluting toxic masculinity uh, or diminishing it to prevent domestic violence? Uh, one big thing is that we can't solve any problems if we don't admit it's a problem. I think just the sentence my, "men's violence against women." It, it it puts um, the responsibility where it should be in that men is responsibility in I think in Sweden it's 98% of all uh, violent acts which is not only within domestic violence or just in violence in general uh, are in um, men are responsible for so it costs us huge amount of money and suffering that men are violent um, so I think just to admit it that there is something called patriarchy, there is something called toxic masculinity, is putting the focus on where the problem is, and when we know that, then we can do something about it. Um, and and to talk about it and trying to understand what it is and why it is, and the shift in Sweden has been that men are st- starting to talk about it, men are starting to talk about talking about emotions, talking about how it's to be a father or a good partner uh, and how you can be in a different way. I think that's that's a part of the solution to take responsibility because it is men who needs to change to be in a different way, to act in a different way. So I think that's a, a, a very important shift to see where is the problem and who who has the means to do a change because women can't change men it's not how it works we can't ever change another person it has to be up to that person to be willing to change so i think that's an important thing to to own that uh, even um i guess it's common in in different parts of the world but <clears throat> i'm not one of those men 
that treats women badly. And that's the thing. No, maybe you're not. Because most men aren't violent in that sense. But you are part of a problem. And if you don't see that, if you don't uh, take responsibility for that, then you're still part of the problem. Um, So I think it's a very important shift. And I think that hopefully with a lot of other interventions slowly will have an effect um <coughs> and what what uh, as you can see in, uh, like in Sweden how you how you divide the parental leave <coughs> so i guess compared to other countries uh, fathers are often more home with the children and that we can see the research shows that when fathers are home more with the children uh, they take more responsibility over the children they evolve a more um, emotional bonds with the child and uh, actually evolves emotionally and have a, a better emotional language and that's beneficial for the society but that's a huge benefit for the father and the child so we, we know that those kind of intervention actually has an effect uh, and that's the thing we need more people, more men to do that to have an effect on a societal level we, we hear we're talking about men's violence against women and mm. we, we often hear from political conservatives uh, well, what about what about the men what about women's violence against men why are mm. we only talking about men's mm. violence against women um, is is that a legitimate concern or is that simply a way of adding to the problem and distracting from the real problem I would say that's a way of distracting from the problem we know we know that violence exists um, in 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 every kind of relationship we know that it ex- exists in young relationship in elderly relationships and same-sex relationships and heterosexual relationships we know that and we also know that women uh, subject men in an intimate partner relationship for violence uh, but if you, I can only speak from a Swedish co- context. When you look at the research, um, is that when women do it's when men subject women to violence, uh, it's longer period of time. Uh, uh, the damages it does to the women uh, often needs hospital care, and it's more severe if you compare to women subjecting men for violence. Um, so it's and also overall if you look at the statistic um, the majority of the violence is men subjecting women to violence and there aren't oh I don't have the uh, numbers in my head but I think if you look at Sweden I think maybe the the women who has killed their partner or ex-partner is often women who's been subjected to severe violence by their partner. But if you look at a man who has killed their ex-partner or partner who's a woman, and there hasn't been violence from the women to the men. So if you, if you look overall, uh, there are more men subjecting women to violence and it's more severe. And we have to also remember that um, men's violence against women, it's a part of patriarchy it's one of the extremes form uh, uh, that patriarchy is uh, is shown because it's not only about the partner violence it's also about uh, salary it's about what you like the rights you have access to the right to health care the right to 
uh, equal pay, the right to um, uh, housing, that's all, all, everything is connected. Violence is just the most extreme form that we can see patriarchy in. Uh, and by this, it doesn't mean that men who who is subjected to violence, that they don't have the right to help. Because they do. Everyone that needs help has the right. So uh, for me, it's, it's not an issue for those people to get help. But that's not a structural problem. Men's violence against women is a structural problem. And that means it needs to have structural solutions. It's a societal problem. Turning now to the, the, the structural issues and the structural solutions that we might have, what would those look like? Oh, that's a, such a difficult question. The debate lately in Sweden has been, um, it's because of the six women who's recently been murdered. So the debate is very much alive right now, uh, which is, I think it's sad that the people... Uh, Women has to die for this to be a popular subject. Um, but so there are things that are happening in Sweden right now. So 1st of July, uh, there will be passing of a law that it will be criminal for children to, uh, uh, to experience violence within the home, which I think is good. All the political party parties in Sweden are in agreement that the, um, the punishment for uh, violence in a relationship uh, should be higher. So probably that will be a new law. Um, so there are things happening and one of the things I've been involved with, uh, which I really see is a structural problem in the work I do, is that a lot of... Um, couples where there is violence uh, and they get a divorce or they separate and they have joint custody which is um, which is a way for the men to keep on abusing the women and the children and there are debates about that right now which is good but this is the problem the problem is that Sweden has good laws it actually does um, and I've been working both in in social services but also with within the women's shelter movement that's the problem is how we apply the laws and what kind of resources we have to apply the laws so sweden is a country with good laws and it, it is a country with a good social safety net um but so sweden is a country where the welfare system is descaled uh it is it is not what it used to be and it is not what we deserve as human beings and a society for a country that is so rich with so many resources. I think it's a shame that we don't have a better welfare structure than we do. Um, so we have all of these good laws but we can't apply them because we don't have the resources to do that. Uh, so in the socials, uh, in the law, Socialtjänstlagen, um, which is the law that social services follow, it says that the social services has both the long, the short term and the long term uh, responsibility for survival of domestic violence to help them. So a long term solution entails housing situation because that's one of the 
biggest parts of stability in a person's life. Uh, Stockholm, where I live, uh, has a shortage of housing. There is there isn't housing, and uh, and we have the second hand market, which me- which means that the private persons are renting out apartments to other private persons, which is really really expensive in Sweden. So this woman has two children. She doesn't speak any Swedish, um, which is a result of that he has isolated her. He pro- prohibited her from uh, working or to learning Swedish. So she that she doesn't speak Swedish is a direct result of uh, of uh, the violence she's been subjected to. And now uh, her landlord, a private landlord, uh, says that she can't live there anymore. And the social services are saying you have to try to find a solution by yourself so a woman that doesn't speak any Swedish a woman that's on the welfare system she gets benefits uh, from the social services so she doesn't have a job she has no chance of getting uh, uh, housing in the second hand market in Stockholm it's it's almost impossible but because the social services doesn't have a housing they will just say you have to you have to find a solution by yourself but the law says that we have responsibility to help her um, so what will happen that the day that she is homeless with two children the social services will give her a hotel that's what will happen uh, so that's a great example of that we have good laws uh, that we can't uh, enact because we don't have the resources to Uh, and I, that's a structural problem I see over and over again. We are saying to women, uh, leave, we will help you, we will support you, and we will for a very short time. And then sh- most women I meet, they come out to homelessness if they, you don't have, which is a class issue. And in Sweden, class is often uh, uh, in relation to race and that a lot of people who is poor in Sweden are also immigrants or non-white people uh, so that's a, a great example of how how uh, it looks like on the floor uh, and I have so many of these examples so many of how we are failing uh, survivors of domestic violence and one thing that we have to understand is that questions Different welfare question is connected to each other. So right now what's happening in Sweden that we are saying, oh, this is so serious, we have to do something about this men's violence against women, uh, we have to stop the murdering of women. At the same time what the government is doing, that they are... They want to have, uh, they want to have free market rents, uh, they... Uh, they want to make it difficult for people to get welfare uh, if you don't have a job. So these kind of questions are in linked with each other. So if we do something about uh, higher, uh, like longer prison sentences, but at the same time we are uh, like downsizing uh, the housing market, like a good stable housing market, then it won't help. It won't help the survivors. We have to understand that things are uh, linked together. So we can't take with the one hand and give it with another hand. Then it won't have any effect. 
which I think on a structural level is very problematic how the Swedish government is seeing this problem and uh, every party is using this to score points. We have an election ne- next year, so every party wants to be in the front line of like, look, we are standing up for women's rights, which is not a phenomenon just in Sweden. Uh, every country does that, and every like r- religious um, parties or um, will use that. We are protecting like we are protecting women, but are we? Or are you just trying to um, gain more power for your own sake? You've brought us to quite an important point of how survivors of domestic violence um, have been victims of societal problems. And often it isn't just domestic violence that um, they, they have to suffer from. There are other issues such as, you've mentioned, job, where perhaps even the employment, even the job market is um, abusing them. Um, would, would, would you think that, that it has not been your experience where survivors often have um, several areas that, that they have been abused from, not just their partners? Yeah, absolutely. There's a term in Swedish which is called the, <laughs> it's called the second rape. Uh, and lots of women that I meet, which is not only my experience, there's research about that. They say that I thought that when I spoke up, when I told people that I would get help, that the only thing that would, the only thing and the most difficult thing I had to do was to leave him. But now when I left him, I feel like I'm getting abused again by society. I've heard so many women saying that. Um, And that's an expression of how the society isn't often working for this group uh, with the help they, they, they need. Um, and obviously things like class, things like race, um, is intersections in this kind of question that I see that uh, women with the resources, which is often white Swedish women, and women with education, academics, um, and w- women who's middle class or upper class who has money, the means to buy a new apartment or they have a friend who has a summer house somewhere they manage this better because they have the resources but the women often uh, women who doesn't have an academic uh, education and it's it's not the education per se it's it's the the status and the money it comes with uh, that the women doesn't have jobs or it's difficult more difficult for them to get jobs or when they get a job it's low paid and most of them are uh, women who who is non-white so that's a very uh, uh, for me that is very very obvious that the women who is when you leave the husband and that uh, for immigrant women it leads more to uh, poverty and for white Swedish women often middle class white Swedish women um, and then we have obviously the working class white Swedish women they, they struggle as well uh, yeah that's my experience you've brought our attention to something else that is um, uh, quite well 
I hesitate to say fascinating, certainly important. Um, Sweden is viewed as a classless, raceless society. The racism doesn't exist. There is no class. It's often viewed that way, and it is a view that the white Swedes are quite happy to uh, endorse and propagate. Um, do you, do would you say that is a fair assessment? The the class and race do not exist in Sweden. Oh, that's such a lie. <laughs> that's such a lie and such an illusion. And I think uh, for a lot of white people in Sweden, it's. Uh, it's the illusion that become that they want to be proud of. We didn't have slavery. We don't have uh, classes, and we are certainly not racist. We don't see colors here, uh, but that's not true. That's really not true. And there are so many reports. There are so many resources. There's statistics, loads of them in the Swedish context that uh, shows uh, it's a lie. But still. Uh, to talk about racism is a really difficult, difficult question, um, different, difficult um, subject in Sweden. So let's talk about it. I think it's a difficult thing to talk about in Sweden because we don't have, uh, we have a colonial history, but we don't have that uh, to the extent like France or England does, and um, the immigration in Sweden is is quite late compared to other countries so we don't have that kind of history and we don't have that kind of immigration that we can see in, in Germany in, in, in France in <coughs> England but I also think it depends on the self-image Sweden has of being the, the good body the solidaric country that uh, we have this great welfare system we don't see color we are colorblind here and we have gender equality. So I think that makes it difficult to talk about racism because then we have to see ourselves. We have to see the this institutional structural problems we have. Because most people in Sweden won't say the N-word to you. They won't say racist things. But racism is so much more than that. It's the institutional problems we have with uh, having the same access to healthcare, the same access to the job market, the same access to housing. That is what racism is about, uh, that you deny your basic human rights because uh, of the colour of your skin. Uh, you speak of the institutional racism. Um, how, how does that impact on the work um, that you do? And how, how does it... It almost feels to me like... Um, there's a self-perpetuating cycle of those who are being abused are also at risk of being left behind by the system due to the due to the institutional racism. Um, absolutely, my experience is that, as I mentioned before, that class and race is. Um, very linked in Sweden, which I would guess is uh, the the problem in other countries as well. Uh, so, so we have the group of women who are who is um, subjected to violence, and because of their race or that they are are immigrants in Sweden, that they will actually have less 
access to resources compared to white women, white Swedish women. <clears throat> and uh, sorry, I was just trying to see how it, how I would incorporate that. Um, a lot of women I I meet, uh, they will say the the it's there is a term in Swedish which um, translates into the second rape in uh, in English, and that means that a lot of women think that the hardest thing they have to do is to leave uh, the abuser to leave him, and they think that uh, if I'm courageous enough to leave, I'm a, if I'm courageous enough to 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 talk and to tell my story then I will get help and and some women get good help but some women really don't and they will they will they will tell about how they feel that uh, they left even if there was violence there was some form of security they knew where they lived they knew how much money they had they knew that they will get food the next day uh, and it's in a it's paradox in that way. It's both dangerous and safe at the same time. But when they leave the abuser, they are in coming going into the unknown. And a lot of women I meet, and it's not only my experience. We know that this is a systematic problem. So they will say that uh, I feel abused by the system. I feel that if there was a promise. And that I will get help, and I'm not getting help, which is help with housing, how uh, help with economy, help with jobs, uh, and those problems I see is a bigger problems when it comes to women uh, with low income and women who uh, non-white women, and often that's interlinked. Uh, class and race, and low um, immigrant women often have low-income jobs <coughs> or they don't have jobs which is also a consequence of violence because they haven't been allowed to learn Swedish or they haven't been allowed to work as a for as a way of for him to control her so I can really see how racism the institutional racism is such a big problem uh, for for this group of of women that we don't talk about, which means that if you don't talk about it, it's not a problem, and then they are not getting help. I can also see how institutional racism um, has an effect on on the legal system. That I can see that if a man is white and the woman is non-white, uh, he's more likely not getting a prison sentence he's more likely to get joint custody and he's more likely to have more time with his children than if the man is uh, a, a black man a brown man uh, then he the likely he's like more likely to go to prison if the woman is white that will say because if the woman is also non-white then it can it can be different outcomes uh, so the, the race you have is so important on what kind of verdict you, you will get. And that's not only my and my colleagues' experience. We can we know this by fact as well, because there are studies showing this. Um, and also we, I think, subconsciously, not only in Sweden, we have this 
image of black and brown man being the dangerous men. They are so much more dangerous than white men. And we know for a fact that all men, it doesn't matter which race you have. There is, uh, they, there is violent men in all of the races. <coughs> races. Uh, so I can really see that being a problem for women uh, subjected to violence. And... Uh, but also I feel I feel as a brown woman very lonely in this kind of work because sometimes I feel that is am I the only one seeing this problem because I, I work in a dominantly Swedish a white uh, group of colleagues <coughs> and Obviously, all of my colleagues are anti-racist because most people are in Sweden. But when I bring this subject up, it come becomes strangely quiet. Nobody will speak about it, but everybody is agreeing that it's so important, which makes me feel lonely and which makes me sometimes also feel crazy. Um, because if nobody admits the reality, you... you 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 lived experience then you start to question yourself am i the only one is the problem in my head or outside outside my head um <clears throat> which is interesting though when we talk about violence because that's one of the things that happens when it's just subject to violence you start to qu qu question yourself and institutional racism is being subjected to violence um, but I can find myself trying to be more white, uh, however I'm doing that, to be able to advocate for my clients, to be able to work for them and with them so they get the resources they have rights to, the, the right to, um, which is also a very strange posi position to have as, as being the therapist or being the social worker, the one who should be in power but also feeling powerless in some some context. As, <clears throat> as a brown woman um, and a Swedish Bangladeshi coming into this work, organising around this work, um, how how has how how have those two or, or that joint identity of yours shaped your approach to this work? I think it has been difficult to navigate the different expectations, uh, as we talked about earlier, the immigrant experience, uh, to have, uh, as, as um, uh, I don't know if it's a term, but like the Im immigrant experience of have to work double as hard. Uh, and if you're a woman, then you have to work triple as hard uh, to get good grades, to, <clears throat> uh, to, to really be out there, to be outgoing, to, uh, to be able to be successful in work life. And we have this strange thing in Sweden, uh, which I know that they don't have in England. I've, I've worked in England as well, uh, that you have to speak perfectly Swedish. It doesn't matter if you're fluent in Swedish. If you have an accent, it's so much more difficult to get a, a, a job. For, um, for me, it's, it's really a symptom of the institutional racism we have. 
so be to to be able to speak that kind of uh, Swedish and to behave Swedish, I do not know how to answer how to behave Swedish, but it's just like a way of being that shows you you are one of them, and it's <clears throat> it's it's like sometimes playing theater. Uh, that you have to pretend to be someone maybe that you don't feel comfortable with just to say hey I'm not dangerous I fit in uh, just to get the job so I think that has been difficult to navigate and also I, I don't know maybe some some form of uh, feeling of self-betrayal am I um Am I compromising with myself? I don't know. I think maybe a lot of people, non-white people, struggle with that <coughs> uh, to get access to what they have tried to, but also feeling am I compromising with myself because I have to do certain things or be in a certain way to get access. But I also think that experience has, uh, in my work with the people I meet, has really in enriched me because it's a lot of the women I mean non-white women I meet they have the same experience and I think they feel relieved by meeting someone that is <clears throat> that has the same experience and that can understand that that can understand the language rather than say that oh no I don't think the person meant it that way to just minimize the experiences of racism because we don't talk about it because it's a non-issue there's so many people's experiences in sweden that are not uh, legitimized um, so i think i think that has a really important role to be able to um, To have experience that is validated, and because I'm working for the social service, so I can say that I'm working, I'm representing the this authority, and I'm saying that your experience is valid, and I think there is a power in that, and that's one of the way I I try to think about my work that the power I have needs to be redistributed to the clients I have. You speak of societal expectations. Did you? Did you feel there were any expectations of you from uh, um, from the perspective of you being Bangladeshi, you having Bangladeshi parents, um, and perhaps a, uh, growing up with uh, contact um, contact with the diaspora, the Bangladeshi diaspora? Absolutely, that you have to be successful. There is no room for failure. And I also think uh, that choosing to become a social worker and a therapist, uh, I don't think my parents understand what I work with uh, because mental health is a non-issue in Bangladesh and in the Bangladeshi diaspora. So I think I chose um, an occupation that a lot of Bangladeshi people can't relate to. And... Uh, and... Um, uh, and I actually have people, like Bangladeshi people, that will start to laugh when I try to explain what I do. I, I just think they become so insecure. Like, huh, mental health and violence, what is this? Uh, but also being a, 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 a Bangladeshi brown woman is the expectation of how to be a woman, that you have to 
fits in the norms. Uh, and for me, I'm not saying it's for the, the expect that the experience for all Bangladeshi women, uh, but to be obedient, to conform into the into the norms of uh, you should be really good at school, you should have good grace, you should be successful, but you shouldn't think for yourself and you shouldn't be self-critical and you shouldn't thrive to uh, to make your own path. The path is already decided for you, uh, which <laughs> when it comes to equality, uh, it's, a, it's a very different, difficult thing uh, to navigate within as a mem as a as a brown woman um an immigrant uh, uh hyphenated identity certainly um you come from the most vulnerable group uh when it comes to domestic violence or violence by uh, um, men on women or intimate partnership violence um how how does that inform your um your work and and your activism and organize and and the organizing that you do around um around these issues you said as a minority and a woman that we are one of the most vulnerable groups and so maybe but we are also one of the strongest groups. Uh, I think I wouldn't define myself as vulnerable. I am as as the attributes I have makes me in a structure uh, that I have in different rooms. I have less power, uh, but I have met so many women in so vulnerable situations, and I have never met. A woman that hasn't been strong, that hasn't been resourceful in their own way, uh, that hasn't been powerful. And I think that's the way we should see minority women as powerful human beings. Because it takes a powerful human being to be able to survive in these structures and to move forward. And by saying that, I don't want to take away... Um, I don't want to take away the structural vulnerability in that uh, and and uh, in inequality in power because th that's real but I also want to lift the huge amount of power that we have uh, I have seen women do the, the women I have met do fantastic things that I, sometimes I think you can't be a human being. This is not possible. Uh, so I, uh, yeah, I don't see that as a, as a. I see us as a really, really strong group of human beings, and I think that power, the power that I see in the peop the women I meet, and also the experience from my life, is that. When, when someone is trying to take power from you, then you have to fight back. No one will give you things free. Uh, so then you have to take your own power. And I guess it's from that sense, from my lived experience and through that women I have met, uh, that's a very 
very important part of the job I do. I just don't, because therapy can be very in individualistic, and it, it's, it is in a sense, but in the work I do, I tr really try to build in that power and to build in the, uh, the systemic an analysis of violence. It's just not you, it's us. And if it's us, it's a sy systematic problem then we need a systematic solution. So I try to work that in, in the work I do. Uh, so they also see that they, they are only not victims, they are, they are part of something bigger, a bigger problem. Uh, but also um, the, the kind of human being I try to be uh, uh, in, in my own private life and also uh, the organizing I'm doing right now. I'm, I'm quite pregnant, so I'm trying to <laughs> uh, take it a bit slow, but like just writing articles, raising questions, um, try to mobilize uh, with other women to to speak up, and and when you see the structural problems, to uh, to make them visible, as as we talked previously about the the Swedish self image of being such a good guy to lift up this question, to say that, hey, this is a reality for so many people. We have to acknowledge that and we have to do something about it. So I think maybe I find my place there to try to lift this up uh, on that structural level because individual solutions will help individuals. It won't help us all. very much for your time uh, Mahi and thank you dear listeners for joining us um, and a very pregnant Mahi we, we wish her well um, do follow her work closely we, we will provide you updates on that and uh, stay well until next time thank you for having me